The vice president of a very large corporation was having major problems with the computer system. So he wanted to call one of his key employees who was versed in uh, solving such problems. And he called him late at night one evening after hours. And uh, the phone rang and a voice answered the phone and it was the voice of a little boy who whispered, Hello? And the boss is a little bit impatient because of the troubles that he was uh, experiencing. He says, Is your daddy home? He said, Yes. So well, can I speak to your daddy, please? The little boy said, No. Now, he's getting a little bit more frustrated by all this. He said, well, is your mommy home? And the little boy said, yes. So, well, can I speak to your mother, please? Again, the little boy said, no. He said, no. Well, now he's thinking, there's no way this little guy's at home by himself. There's got to be somebody there that's watching him. He says, is there, is there somebody else there that, that I can talk to? And the little boy said, yes. He said, well, well who is that? The little boy said, a policeman. Said a policeman. He goes, Yes. He goes, Can I talk to him? No. <laughs> Sir, no. And he's starting to get a little bit concerned about what was going on. Said, Well, well, where's your mommy and daddy right now? Well, they're talking to the fireman. To the fireman. Said, Yeah, to the fireman and the policeman. And just then the boss heard what sounded like a helicopter piercing through the phone and and, and he said, Well, what's that? He says, that's a helicopter. And then a voice goes, oh, oh, it's landing right out in front of our house. And now the guy's really concerned. What in the world's going on? There's a helicopter there. There's a fireman there. There's a policeman there. There's a, there's a search team there. He said, what, 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 what's going on? And the little boy started giggling. He said, they're, they're all looking for me. someone's in trouble. Wow, it doesn't uh, take a genius to point out that uh, in this world there are a variety of ways to find ourselves in the midst of trouble. And uh, this actually was, uh, in fact, Jesus pointed this out in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said this, he said, in this world you have tribulation. In this world, you have tribulation. And in fact, the Bible reinforces this by identifying three aspects of this truth. If you have your Bible, turn with me. I want to just take a quick look at something as an introduction. But in Romans chapter 8, we have this whole idea of problems or trouble. And we find that in this world, as Jesus said, we do have tribulation. In Romans 8, verses 35 and 36, we read these words. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It says, just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long and we are considered as sheep about to be slaughtered. We learn in this particular passage that there are a variety of sources of trouble. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, peril, sword, nakedness. And, uh, you know, basically the bottom line is we live in a world that is far from perfect. And as a result of that, oftentimes we find ourselves in the midst of tribulation that oftentimes is caused by the behavior of others around us. And it's of no consequence to as far as our own personal behavior, but we still have to deal with the problems that have presented themselves because of those around us. The second passage I want you to look at is jump ahead a little bit to uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, where the Apostle Paul writes of tribulation or some difficulty that he was experiencing. In verse 7, we read this of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, we read these words. And because of this surpassing greatness of this revelation or revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me and to keep me from exalting myself. In the context, we realize that Paul had just been given a vision, a special vision, a peak preview of what heaven was like. And because of this vision that he had, God allowed this messenger of, of Satan, this thorn, to afflict him in his life so that it would keep him humble. And oftentimes we go through tribulation in life for exactly that purpose, to keep us from getting too puffed up or boastful about ourselves or the gifts that God's given us or the position that we find in life. He says, hey, you know what? Because of this vision or revelation that God gave me, so I didn't feel a little bit too more important to myself than I should have, God allowed this to take place in my life to keep me humble. And uh, finally, in Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 6. 
In Hebrews 12, verse 6, we discover that there are afflictions or persecution that are brought about by the Lord himself. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says, For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. There are times in our life where we will be afflicted by specifically the discipline of God because he loves us and the direction that we're going is detrimental not only to ourselves but our relationship with him. He'll just kind of take us to the woodshed and take care of business and put us back on the road that we're supposed to be going. And I was reminded of of these various aspects of tribulation if you want to jump back to Daniel chapter 6 because as I was going through Daniel 6, Daniel's life is a living, breathing, walking, talking example of these spiritual truths. It seems that Daniel, every time that he turns around, what's kind of fascinating about it is it's like every time that Daniel turns around, he finds himself in the midst of another situation. I ran across this cartoon. I like it. it kind of reminds me of Daniel. reminds me of many of us. There's Daniel squeezed in between the famous rock and the hard spot. And he's just kind of like, well, here I am again. And as we've gone through the book of Daniel, certainly that is true of Daniel's life. I mean, you can almost hear him muttering to himself, well, Lord, here we go again. Be interesting to see how this one turns out. And that's exactly the case. You know, it's fascinating. In the midst of such trouble, Daniel came to the understanding um, that what Jesus was saying was true, where he said, in this world there is tribulation or you'll have tribulation. But Jesus goes on to say this. He says, in this world you have tribulation... But take courage, because I have overcome this world. I like that. And in Romans chapter 8, where we just talked about what will separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God which is in Christ, it goes on, well, you know, the things that we talked about, nakedness, peril, uh, uh, sword, famine, uh, tribulations, persecution. Will any of that stuff ever separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? And he goes on and says, I have become convinced of this, that there is nothing... In this world that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I have become convinced of it. And the reason he became convinced of it is because he, Paul, found himself like Daniel, oftentimes between a rock and a hard spot. And what's fascinating about it is Daniel discovered that Jesus Christ truly is the rock of all ages. That Jesus Christ is the foundation, the cornerstone. He is the rock of all ages. That this position that he's in, Jesus Christ, we learned in Daniel chapter 2, is the rock that was cut out of a mountain that wasn't cut with human hands. That will be sent to this earth to destroy all the kingdoms of the world. And in fact, not even any recollection of those kingdoms. But someday when Jesus comes again, he will establish his kingdom. And that kingdom, that domain, that dominion will have no end. That he will be Lord forever and ever. Amen. And what's fascinating about that is that Daniel discovered, as Paul discovered, and as I hope that you and I will discover, that there is no greater position to be in life than between the rock, Jesus Christ, and any hard spot you'll ever find on the face of the earth. Because Daniel leaned upon the rock, and the rock comforted him. The rock did not squeeze him up against the hard spot. He found comfort when he leaned against the rock. And I like that. And we need to lean against the rock as well. If you find yourself today or sometime in the future between that proverbial rock and the hard spot, I want you to stop thinking the way the world has conditioned us to think that we are in a jam and we have no refuge. And I want you to understand that the rock is Jesus Christ. And he wants you and me to lean against him because there is no more wonderful place in this world to be, no more secure place in this world to be than between him and any adversity that is thrown our way. Isn't that a wonderful truth? And you know what? And what Daniel's going to discover is what we've, we started to look at last time, and that is that, you know what? Here's the hard spot that Daniel found himself in was what was called a den of lions. But the rock that he'll lean against is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And it's a fascinating study of where we can turn when we have difficulties in our life. And it's exciting, and we'll take a look at it. If you've got your Bibles, let's look at Daniel chapter 6. And we'll pick up in verse 1 where we left off last time. And we're going to look at six areas that are going to jump out at us, six areas of truth that basically are very relevant for today. And I, I, you know, as we read through this, nothing I can find could be more relevant than what we're going to discover about the life of Daniel today as we look at this. God has something very pertinent that he wants to say to every one of us. And he asks you to pay attention and listen up. You know, we were having a Bible study the other day. 
and uh, it was with the, with the, well, it was about two weeks ago, and it was one of our angel Bible studies, and we were meeting at the stadium. And what's kind of interesting about it, we're going through the book of Nehemiah, specifically the area where Nehemiah, it says that Nehemiah opened the word of God or unrolled the scrolls of God. And he began to teach the people the truth that God wanted them to know. And what was really fascinating, and I kind of like this idea, but in, in Nehemiah, we're told that as Nehemiah unrolled the scroll to teach the word or declare the word of God, that all the people stood in respect to the fact that they were in the presence of God and Nehemiah sat down so that no one would misunderstand that he was God. And so he sat down and I thought this would be the coolest thing. So what I was thinking, and it's going to be really hard for some of you to sleep this morning, but let's just try this. Why don't you all just stand up for the next 45 minutes or an hour and I'll just kind of kick it right here and we're going to have a great time. And uh, now, so you don't like that idea. Oh, okay. Well, I kind of enjoy it. Wow, we got a choir going here and everything. Um, but could you imagine? And so my point to them was this. I said, could you imagine? I said, you know, you take a guy, you know, you, you take uh, some of the guys that were there. I said, could you imagine if, uh, let's just say, one of the greatest hitters of all time ever walked into this room? Now, whether it was Ted Williams or Rod Carew or, or someone like that. And they walked in the room and they were going to teach you how to hit. Would you yawn? Would you doze off? Would you not be excited about the fact that one of the greatest hitters in the game of baseball walked into your presence? I think so. Some of the guys that were pitchers. If Cy Young walked in and wanted to give you some tidbits on how to pitch. I mean, even guys in the league that know guys like Roger Clemens yesterday mowed down 15 angels. I mean, he had 15 strikeouts. The guy's been in the league forever, and he's still striking out. Nolan Ryan. I mean, if they walked in the room and said, hey, you know what, I understand you're a pitcher. I'd like to give you some pointers. Hey, you know what? I'm really kind of tired. I had a tough night last night. And, and, and then I was thinking, I, 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 like, what's wrong with us? Can you imagine? When we open the Word of God, God is speaking to us. It's as though He walked into our very presence, and we yawn, we look down at the floor, we watch people walking around, we're jotting down grocery lists, whatever it is. And so I guess my point to you is this. If you're going to be here, then you might as well listen up. You already got up and you got here. That's, you know, nine-tenths of the battle, isn't it? Isn't it always the hardest thing in the world to do to come to church? Bible study, anything like that has to do with God? I mean, for some of us, that's like where the biggest battles take place. Persecution, tribulation. Why? Because you're going to go hear the Word of God. You're going to hear truth. And truth's going to set you free from all the garbage that you're going through in life. All the problems that you have. God's going to give you direction. He's going to be a lamp under your feet, light under a path. Oh man, we couldn't ask for anything better than that. And it cracks me up when I look out and I see people dozing off or talking or visiting or sharing something that happened yesterday. All I can tell you is I can't think of anything more disrespectful. This isn't about me. This is about you and your relationship to God. So can I just challenge you one time and get this out of the way to consider if you're going to come to open the word, to listen quietly, to cease striving, to know he's God, and to listen to his counsel, and then as you leave here today, apply it in your life, and you'll be amazed at the dynamics of a living, vibrant relationship with God. All right. And all those awake applauded. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. I like when the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord. doesn't say it right here, but it is implied. <laughs> it's implied. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, and that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Wow. What a guy. The last time we were together, we saw that we were introduced to the position of Daniel. 
You know, it's fascinating as we look at this and discover about Daniel's life that he has, after a very distinguishing career working for King Nebuchadnezzar for over 40 years, he found himself in the unfamiliar position of having to either fill out his social security papers or start sending out new resumes. He hadn't done that for about 40 years and he was set aside and he was abandoned by man. It was fascinating. It was under the administration of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar that they basically said, hey, here's your gold watch. Thanks for everything you've done for the kingdom, but uh, don't call us. Uh, We'll give you a call. 23 years later, they still hadn't called him and he was set aside by man. But you know what's interesting is that we can be set aside by man, but you know what? God never sets us aside. He always got a purpose and he always has a plan. And though we think we're abandoned by people, God will never abandon us. He says, you know what? I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Even when you're faithless, I will continue to be faithful, which is fascinating as we consider the life of Daniel. So as we go through this and understand it, it's almost like after 23 years, God calls him again and Daniel is up for the, the challenge or the occasion. And when the door knocked, he answered it, the, the door of opportunity. And uh, it was almost like he was saying, okay, Lord, here we go again. Another chapter of Daniel's life. Now, what Daniel didn't know, but what we know is that it is now called Daniel chapter 6. And uh, what's kind of nice about that is that this is a new chapter in the life of Daniel. And this is what God's going to be doing. In verses 1 through 3, if you look at that, we find that Daniel is in a position of authority. He's one of only three commissioners that have been established. And basically the kingdom have been divided into thirds. So Daniel is responsible for 40 of the satraps and all of the underlings that go along with that. The, 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 uh, the organizational chart would show him responsible for uh, a third of the kingdom with 40 of leaders and all, all the people that fall underneath that. And there were two other commissioners, so there was only three of them. And uh, what we learned last time was, and, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king who was spared from the Babylonian Empire, wasn't to be found anywhere in the equation. But yet God elevated Daniel to that position. So here he is. He's responsible for a third of this enlarged kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And he's in a, re- a position of responsibility again, a posi- position of authority. And, and it's amazing when you consider the fact that he's in his 80s, early 80s at this point, And God still has use for him. And it's fascinating when we look at that. So we've got this new beginning, even at this incredible age. And look what the Bible says about him in verse 3. It says, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Right now he's got a third of responsibilities. But because of this extraordinary spirit that he has... God was about to elevate him as well as Darius in a position of great authority and responsibility. The other two commissioners will now report to him and he will report directly to Darius. And the other two guys are now seeing that, hey man, we're going to be out of the loop. We're going to have to answer to this guy. And he was just one of our co-workers. Now he'll be our superior. And it's fascinating as you look at that. Now the question is this. What was different about Daniel... And what was it about his life that would put him in a position to be used by God so that God would elevate him to this new responsibility? And the Bible clearly teaches. says that he had an extraordinary spirit. Here's the principle, and don't miss this. Daniel's life, his soul, his person, was saturated with the Word of God. And as his life was saturated with the Word of God the Holy Spirit of God took that word and brought it out and made it alive in the life of Daniel. Daniel had the word of God saturating his life and then he allowed the Spirit of God to work a mighty work through him. In the power of God's Spirit, he lived every day. How can you and I have an extraordinary spirit? Let me just tell you. We need to be saturated with the Word of God. And then we need to walk in obedience and the power of God's Spirit. God said He did not give Timothy. Paul was talking to Timothy. He said, God didn't give you a spirit of timidity. To be a coward. To be afraid. To be afraid to stand up and make a difference. God didn't give you that spirit. That's not of God. But God gave you His Word. And when His Word permeates your very being, 
and you walk in obedience and step out in faith and trust God. He says He gives you a power, a spirit of power, not of timidity. A spirit of power, not of compromise. A spirit that will make a difference in the world where God has placed us today and not just sit in the shadows afraid and cowering as to take a stand for God and His principles. I love that about Daniel because he discovered that that was true. Some of us do not have an extraordinary spirit because number one, we don't have the Word of God permeating our very being because we don't spend any time in the Word of God. The second thing is, even when we do read it and understand it and understand what God wants in our life, we are afraid to be obedient because it may cost us something. Daniel wasn't afraid. He said, why should I hang on to that which I can't hold to get that which I can never lose? He said, I don't need what the world has to offer me because it's temporary and fleeting anyway. What I want is what God has to offer me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, the Word of God says, don't, don't ever, don't ever put anybody before your God. Nebuchadnezzar builds an idol and it is a huge image and says, you're going to worship me. Or you're going to go into the fiery furnace. Worship you, obey God, burn in, in the furnace. Oh, well, what should we do? It wasn't even a question. We will never worship you. We will worship our God. And if even if He chooses to drop us in the furnace and not protect us, like Job said, even if He chooses to slay me, I don't care. I'm going to keep trusting Him. See, some of us never get to that, that level of fellowship with God because we continue to compromise every time a test or obstacle is thrown before us. Do you understand that? These men weren't no different than you and I. The difference was they believed God. The difference was they got to that next level in their relationship with God because they believed what He said and they had intimate fellowship with Him. They would have never enjoyed the companion of the Lord Himself in that fiery furnace had they just compromised and bowed their head and said, well, you know I'm not really worshiping, but you know, you don't really want me to die in a furnace, do you? Because I really can't be of any service to you, Lord, in this position. So you know my heart, even though everybody else around me thinks I'm worshiping the image, I'm really not. That's nonsense. And that is not godly thinking. God will never honor compromise. They were thrown in the furnace and they experienced a tremendous fellowship with God. In fact, I believe this in my heart. Then when it was time for them to come out of that furnace, they didn't want to. You can't, you can't be in the presence of God Himself and then say, okay, the time's up, I think I'll go back into this world. Are you kidding me? There's not any of us that if we went to heaven today that ever want to come back here. I guarantee you that. Why? Because there's no better place to be in the world than in the presence of God Himself. Isn't that great? That's Daniel's life. So we're looking at this, and what's kind of fascinating about all this, he has this wonderful combination of the Word of God permeating his life, and then the obedience as he stepped out in faith and continued to do what God had called him to do. And what's fascinating about all of this is this. This guy is a tremendous guy. You think that he's a great guy. But the problem is, is as we look at this, is that, uh, look at the verse 4. In verse 4, what do we find? Some people didn't like it. They didn't like this at all. So there was a plot against him. In verse 4 it says, Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. Isn't that interesting? What it says then, or at that time, at what time? When they found out that Daniel was about to get promoted ahead of them, they went, wow, wait a minute. We don't want that. So what did they do? They began trying to find a ground to accuse him. They started digging up whatever dirt they could find. They hired investigators. They sent him looking for Daniel's life. They sent him looking at his family and his friends. And the people we had done business with up to that point. They were asking him questions. Hey, tell us about Daniel. What do you know about Daniel? What's going on in Daniel's life? Is there anything you can tell us? Maybe he's a you know, hypocrite in some area. Maybe he's done something that he shouldn't have done. You know, it's, it's been said that every one of us has some type of skeleton in our closet. You know, and we start to buy into that belief system because we hear it so often by people that have the skeletons that everybody must have skeletons. 
And we hear that, this little the spin doctors that are on TV and in the media, and that's all we hear is that, well, every, no one's perfect. Everybody has a skeleton in their closet. Not everybody. Daniel didn't. Look what it says. They were trying to find a ground to accuse him, and guess what they find? Nothing. They found nothing. Could you imagine how frustrating that must have been? We can't find anything. Here's a principle for you. When you're on top, I don't care if it's in the workplace, if it's uh, in athletics, if it's in your school, if it's at a church or in politics, when you are the number one guy or gal, get this straight. There will be people who will be jealous of your position. Wow. Was that like a shocking revelation? There will be people that will be jealous of your position. And if you have an Achilles heel, they will find it and they will use it against you. They couldn't find anything in Daniel's life. Isn't that fascinating? I guess the principle is this. Today, you and I need to be more like Daniel. We need to be more like Daniel. We need to uh, live in such a manner so that the charges which are inevitably brought against us. You hear what I'm saying? So that the charges that will inevitably be brought against us will be nothing but lies. You follow that? Here's the principle. You and I cannot keep people from talking about us. But you can live in a manner so that the accusations or the accusers are liars. You and I cannot stop people from criticizing us. But we can live our lives in a manner so that when we are criticized, no one will believe what they say. You follow that? Let me give you an illustration. Over the past 15 years, I have taken my fair of shots. My, my, you know, I've been shot at a few times. And what's been fascinating about it is, is that you've got to be careful because you, know, you, you, would, you, would, you wouldn't assume that the people who are going to shoot at you are actually the ones who are shooting at you. You think that you're all on the same team, but sometimes that's not always the case. So you've got to be real careful. I don't care where it is, in work or politics or anywhere, you think that you're all on the same team and you find out later that those are the people that were trying to shoot you. And what's interesting is, is that like, here, here's, here's like how, how stupid some of these things are. And I want to straighten this out right now. Uh, I was uh, confronted about a week ago by a lady that said, well, there was a, a couple that, they used to come to Kindred, they don't come anymore because all they do with the money there is they use it for parties. Now, you would think that, you know, can you, have you ever heard anything dumber than that? And, and the point is, yes. But... Uh, <laughs> And so it's really a good time just to kind of clarify something here when it has to do with finances because people see a large group of people and they see the basket going around and they begin to make up stupid stories. Yeah, we're just, you know, we use it for parties, uh, you know. But here, here's the bottom line of that. Any money that, that you give in here that come, then when the basket comes around, if you designate it for Kindred, it stays in Kindred's uh, account to be used for, you know, stupid things like coffee and donuts. And if somebody here has a, a need that comes up or whatever, and we make that determination, that's what it's used for. Anything that you don't write is for Kindred goes directly to Calvary Church main fund. It just goes into the main account, general fund. And none of us have any say as to what happens there. That's what the board is for. That's what the trustees are for. They make all these determinations. We don't. So the point is very simple, and that's this, that any money that, that comes through here, we don't get any of it. I don't get any of it. My wife doesn't get any of it. I mean, you can tell by the way I dress. Uh, and the people that do music don't get any of it. The people that you know, count the money don't get any of it. You know, the guys who do the sound don't get any of it. None of us get any of the money, okay? So let's just clarify that right now. And in fact, the tapes, if you buy tapes to send to friends and family, the money that you pay for the tapes is exactly the cost that the church charges us to duplicate the tapes. So nobody is getting any money to go out and use for parties. Now, what's the point of this illustration? Other than the fact that it's... it's funny and stupid all at the same time, the, the, the point is this. We will never be able to stop others from accusing or attacking us, right? 
But we can, in fact, we can expect, if we're in God's service, to be shot at. Now, here's the principle I don't want you to miss. Okay, that's why I can't. Watch me walk over here. Here is the principle. You ready? You and I can't stop people from accusing us of anything or being critical of us. And in fact, if you're in God's service and you want to do what's right before God, you will get shot at because it's called being on the front lines of a spiritual battle. You will be shot at. Here's the principle I don't want you to miss. Don't give them the ammo. You got it? Write it down. I will be shot at. Don't give them the ammo. Write that down. Don't give them the ammo. Daniel was shot at. Daniel was accused. But you know what Daniel decided long ago when he committed his ways to the Lord? You know what? I will never give people the ammo they need to come after me. They're going to come after me anyway. I'm not going to give them the ammo. Isn't that interesting? The Apostle Paul said the same thing. In fact, turn to Philippians chapter 2 for a second. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. He said this. In Philippians 2, as we're looking at this whole idea of living a life in front of those around us in a way that's pleasing to God, look what he says in verse 2. I mean, I mean Philippians 2, verse 14. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It says that you may prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Look what he says. Holding fast, what? The word of life, the word of God, the truth of God, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Do you notice what he says? That we are to prove ourselves blameless in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And we do that by holding fast to the word of God as our anchor for our behavior. And we will be light in darkness. And don't ever forget what Jesus said. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness hated it because it exposed their deeds and their deeds were evil. Don't ever think when you stand for what's right before God that this world we live in will embrace the truth of God's Word. It's like taking a big old spotlight and shining it like if you're going out deer hunting or spotting deer and you're shining in the eyes of deer and they all light up. Why? Because the Word of God exposes it and, it's, and their deeds are evil. But you know what Paul said? He goes, you know what? Hey, I live my life in such a way that every night I went to bed I didn't have any regrets. I lived my life in such a way that every morning when I woke up to shave and I looked in the mirror, I could look myself in the mirror and not have any regrets. Why? Because I held fast to the Word of God and I did what was right before God and I know I have to give an account to God one day and you know what? That's a great way to live our life. Is that the way you're living? Every day you live with an accountability that you know that you're accountable to God to do what's right and you've got the Word of God in your heart so you know the difference between right and wrong and you choose to do the right thing? God's saying that's a great way to live your life. That's how Daniel lived his life. And you know what you do? When you do that each and every day of our lives, guess what happens? Over a long period of time, we don't have to worry about our accusers and our critics digging up some dirt about us sometime that happened 5 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, because every day you did what was right, there is nothing to dig up. You're going to get shot at. Don't give them the ammo. That's all. Boy, and that's exactly what happened. Going back to uh, Daniel chapter 6. And they got frustrated. Why were they frustrated? Because they couldn't find any ammo. Why couldn't they find any ammo? Here's why. You ready for this? Number one. It says that they could find no ground of accusation, verse 4, or evidence of corruption... Inasmuch as he was what? Faithful. Inasmuch as he was faithful. You know, I was wrestling with this whole idea of faithfulness and, and I was kind of confused about what does it really mean to be faithful? Well, first of all, we understand this. That he was faithful, it says, they were trying to find accusations in the matters of government affairs. In the business and the job that he had, they were trying to find some way that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. So the first thing that they found was that he was faithful. 
Now, this is an interesting idea, and I want to throw it out to you, and I want you to read it on your own because we don't have time to dig into it, but you can dig into it and give you something to, to look forward to doing later. But in Matthew chapter 5, we read this. It says that, you know, in the, talent, the, the parable of the talents and the servants, that the master left and left in char- it left a, a, a different amounts of talents to each person that was one of his employees or one of his servants, and then went away. And while he was away, some of them went about doing the master's business. And it said when he came back, he said to them, Well done, my what? Good and what? Faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The whole idea of faithfulness for God's people is this. That we are left responsible to do the business of our Father and to do what God calls us to do so that one day when he either returns, Jesus, or he calls us to heaven himself, he will say to us, well done, good and faithful service. servant. Why? Because you were faithful in your service to God in the time that he had given you here on earth. Now the question for you is this. The whole idea of faithfulness is found in Hebrews chapter 11, and that carries with this idea, and it goes back to Daniel's whole life. That's this. God's word says it. We believe it. And we live accordingly. You follow that? God's word says it. We believe it. And then we take appropriate action as a result of what we just learned. Read Hebrews chapter 11. Every person that was there was considered faithful by God because they heard the word of God, they believed what God had to say, and then they went about doing the work that God had called them to do. So when Noah, for example, heard the word of God of impending judgment, heard the word of God of building an ark, it says that, you know what, Noah heard the word of God, God said, build an ark, Noah believed God, and he started to build the ark, and he did what God called him to do. And God said he was faithful because of that. As we go through Hebrews 11, we have a complete list of people who every one of them were told by God what to do, and in faith, they believed what he said and walked accordingly. James says this, Faith without works is dead. Let's just get something straight. Don't claim to have faith in God if you are not willing to do what God tells you to do that you find in His Word. I am so tired of hypocrisy of people that say, I believe in God, I have faith in God, I trust God, God is number one in my life until I have decisions to make. And then I just kind of do what I want to do. Faith without works is dead. Now what that means is twofold. Number one, it may mean you're deceiving yourself and you don't even have the kind of faith that God says you need to have. And that's the faith in Jesus Christ that he died for the forgiveness of your sins. You enter in a personal relationship with him and you do that by faith because the word of God says it. And so you just trust God that that's true. And you give him your life. And as a result, at that point, then you have choices to make afterwards as to now whether I'm going to be obedient in my daily life that what God says is true and I'm just going to do what he says even though I don't understand it. See, Daniel was faithful. Meaning that when God said something, he lived it out. God said, don't eat this diet. What did Daniel do? When he was offered a different one, he said, I'm sorry, I can't eat a different one because God says this is the only diet that I can eat. Daniel's friends, hey, I tell you, worship me or you're going to die. And they said, well, the word of God says that, you know what, that I shall have no other gods before thee. I can't put anybody before God. If my choice is to be disobedient to God or to be obedient and burn in a fiery furnace, I'm going to burn in a fiery furnace. Why? Because I've got to give an account to God. He's the one I'm going to answer to anyway. And whether I compromise today and live another 30 years here on earth as a compromiser, it doesn't really matter because one day I've got to face him anyway. So, as Paul said, let's see if I get this straight. Let's see. If you kill me, I go to be with the Lord. Oh, that's terrible. And if you don't kill me, I get to stay here and keep doing what I'm doing. Now, explain to me how I'm going to lose through all this. And he lived with the power of the Spirit of God. Why? Because he was faithful. Well done, my good and faithful service. They acted upon God's Word. Listen to me. True faith always leads to actions that are consistent with the Word of God. You hear me? True faith always leads to actions that are consistent with the Word of God. 
Our faith always has an object upon which it rests, and our faith rests upon the Word of God. By faith we understand that the worlds came into being by the very Word of God. All right? Got it? Moreover, it is required in stewards that one would be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. He was faithful in his obedience to God. Ask you a question. Are you? Okay? I said there's three things. That's the first thing. Number two, he was not negligent. You see that? There was no negligence in him. It conveys the thought that Daniel was responsible to fulfill his duties, whatever they were, in his job. He was responsible to fulfill his duties. He had a commitment to excellence. It didn't matter who saw him. It didn't matter whether anyone was watching him. It didn't matter how much he was going to be rewarded or paid. None of those things had anything to do with it. Let me just tell you something. We don't excel at our jobs so that we will make more money. We excel at our jobs so that we please God because we do everything wholeheartedly as unto the Lord because it's the Lord God whom we serve. Do you understand that? Get that principle down right now real quick. You do not work harder or better at your job because you want men to recognize you and to give you raises and bonuses. You do what's right before God because we're here to serve God. And if you get raises and bonuses and promotions and all the rest of it, that is just a consequence or a benefit to doing what's right before God. Do you understand that? That's a great way to live your life. Daniel didn't care about promotions. Daniel didn't care about raises. Daniel didn't care about, you know, what his his next little perk or spiff was. You know all Daniel cared about? Daniel cared about the fact that he was pleasing in the sight of God in everything that he did. Daniel, he lived out that principle. That's why he wasn't bitter when he was seemingly set aside. That's why he wasn't angry at Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar when for 23 years he was kind of put off to the pasture, so to speak. That's why he had a great attitude about everything. Why? Because when God gave him a chance... He lived it and and was pleasing to God. Are you? Are you the best employee at your company? If you own a company, is your company the best that it can be in your industry? Are you the best athlete on your team? Not the one who had the most gifts and talents and and, and abilities and all that kind of stuff, but do you have the best attitude? Do you have the best work ethic? Are you the one that works harder than anybody else? If you're a student, are you the best student because you work harder than anybody else? Not because you have more brains than anybody else or more intellect than anybody else. I mean, look. It's probably the class that meets after us. We're coming in. We're coming in. And you know what? Oh, oh, oh. I got so much good stuff. But I'm going to cut you all a break because it's hot in here. Not just hot because it's hot temperature-wise. But it's hot because the Word of God kind of heats it up under us, doesn't he? Man, whoo. Here's a question for you. Have you ever tried to excel at what you're doing and you were held back by people around you? Hey, slow down. You're making us all look bad. Hey, don't work so hard out on a job site because you know what? They're going to expect that of you and more next time. Listen, rookie, pace yourself. What is that? That's the world's way of saying, you know what? We're kind of content with mediocrity. Come on back down to our level. Don't get out too far ahead of us because if you do, you know what we're going to start to do? We're going to start shooting at you. So come on back here. And let's all lower the bar so that all of us can reach it. Here's something that really frustrates me while I'm getting things off my chest here today. <laughs> Thank you for sticking around, the, the, the ones that stayed. Um, but... This whole idea in school, in academics, where we've got this concept where let's not give kids grades. Let's just pass or fail. What's that? That's grabbing that bar and tearing it down and throwing it on the ground so everybody can reach it. What kind of incentive is that to work harder? What kind of incentive is that to strive for excellence? These group projects, I hate it when my kids had group projects. They come home with a group project and they get in a group of people that, you know what, they, they know one thing. I'm glad you're in my group. <laughs> and, and that person knows, I am so sorry that you all sorrowful people are in my group. Because why? We're, someone came up with a genius idea. We're just going to give one grade for the whole group. It doesn't matter how hard anybody in the group works. Whether one person does all of the work and the rest of the people do none of the work, we're just going to give the group one grade. 
Whose idiotic idea was that? Think about it. Is that the way your business runs? Really doesn't matter whether you show up for work or not, because you're an employee here. And, you know, if there's bonuses to be paid out, we're just going to give them to everybody in the company. doesn't really matter how hard you work on your team, because you're on the team. And you know what? And everybody's going to get to play. And after I lose every game as coach, you'll get another coach in here who's a lot smarter than me, and he'll reward hard work. How stupid are we? God's Word says, you know what? God honors excellence. God honors hard work. God honors dedication, determination, doing a job well. God honors that. And everything else that's out there in the world today, is, it's in absolute opposition to the Word of God. Don't ever buy into that. Everything that you and I do as God's people, we do heartily as unto the Lord because it's the Lord God whom we serve. And then the last point is this. Bear with me because I don't want you to miss this because there's nothing more relevant than everything that we're talking about. But this one stands out based on everything that's going on around us. And in Daniel, there was no corruption to be found. He was faithful. You notice? He was not negligent. He did the job whether anybody noticed or not because he knew God noticed. And he was committed to that. And he wasn't corrupt. Proverbs 20, verses 6 and 7, we read this. Many a man claims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? In other words, talk is cheap. I'm going to ask you a question in closing. Do you live up to those claims? Are you faithful? Do you get the job done? And are you not corrupt? Some of us say, well, I'm not corrupt. Can you imagine Daniel never used his position or authority for personal gain? That's what not being corrupt is. Could you imagine that Daniel never padded his expense account? Could you imagine that Daniel never used the company chariot on personal time? That he didn't abuse the company credit card for personal expenses? That he didn't waste company time running personal errands because he had a sense of responsibility to those around him? That he didn't take bribes or kickbacks for the construction projects in Babylon? That he didn't use drugs or alcohol that would hinder him in his carrying out of his responsibilities and his duties as a leader? That he didn't take company property home for his personal use. That he didn't use an intern for personal pleasure. His critics came after him with both barrels. And the wonderful thing about Daniel is he didn't provide the ammo. How can you and I silence our critics? You know how we silence our critics? We get the job done. And we do it well. Several years ago, I was in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium with the Rams, and I was down on the field, and the Rams were getting destroyed, and it was ugly. And they were all doing that, oh, Tomahawk thing, man. And it was like 55,000 people, and you're in the middle listening to all this, and you're looking around there, oh, and it was ugly. But something fascinating happened on the way to the end of this particular experience, and that was that we actually started scoring some touchdowns. And it was like, you know, the crowd was up, and it was fourth and two, and the best way to shut up, you know how you shut the crowd up? You get a first down while it's fourth and two. Oh, they shut up, you know? And uh, all of a sudden, we start scoring some touchdowns, we start scoring some runs, and, and all of a sudden, guess what? We're winning. And the crowd is silent. And it was so fun, because I wasn't playing or anything. I had just the chance to take in all these interesting illustrations for later use, like today. And I'm looking around, and everyone's quiet. And I learned something that day that applies to our spiritual life. You want to silence your accusers, you want to silence your critics, then you get the job done that God's called you to do, and you do it well. And there's nothing they can say. 
There's no better way to shut up 15 or 18,000 people in a basketball arena than stand at the free throw and they're waving balloons and streamers and everything else and they're screaming and yelling and you just get up there and you sink the first free throw and you just see everybody go, oh, oh. See, that's Daniel. Every time Daniel had a chance, fourth and two, he got a first down. Every time Daniel had a chance and the winning run was at third base and he was a pitcher, he struck out the batter. Every time Daniel had a chance and there was a guy in scoring position, he, hit, he got the hit that shut up the crowd. And the point that I'm trying to make for you is this. Do the job that God has called us to do. Commit to learning the Word of God and then go about God's business and do the best job that you possibly can. And when you excel at what God's called you to do, the most wonderful thing happens. The crowd shuts up. Do they go away? No. They just wait for another game. But the point is, you can shut them up at least right then and there. And that's exactly what Daniel did. So here's the deal. Let me ask you a question. Are you faithful? Do you know the Word of God? And then you live in obedience. Is there no negligence in you? Meaning that when you're called to do a task, you do it well. Regardless of if anybody ever notices or not, you do the best you can do. And the last thing is this. Is there any corruption in you? Are you lying? Are you cheating? Are you stealing? Are you padding your expense account? Are you doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing in your business? Don't ever forget that you and I are called to be a light in a crooked and perverse generation. We're not called to be as crooked as the people around us. If you will do those things, you know what God says? He says to you, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Daniel would have been a great guy to be around, right? <laughs> Not for everybody. When you come back next time, you're going to see there are a whole bunch of people that don't like that kind of performance, and they're going to do what they can to shut them up. But you know what? Don't be mocked. Hey, whatever a man sows is what he's going to reap. And Daniel sowed good stuff. And as a result, he reaped the benefits. Father, thank you for this time to be together. We just thank you for your word. We just pray that you would give us the courage and the strength. And you tell us that you haven't given us a spirit of timidity or of cowardness, but you have given us a spirit that is bold, that is mighty, that is strong, and that we just need to be obedient and walk in the strength of the Spirit of God. We thank you for your word that's a lamp under our feet and light under our path that gives direction. And we just pray that this week we can start to become people who are faithful in our responsibilities and, and, and our relationship to you, that we're not negligent as we're called to a task, and that we're certainly not corrupt as the world is around us, but that we are called to live an extraordinary life, a life that's coupled with doctrine in our soul and obedience in our step. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.